All right, Pete Giuliano. It is Saturday, the 25th of April, 2020. That makes this solder smoke. What's the number, Pete? 221. 221. Ralph, crank it in. Crank it in. Look at this. Got some background music from Beijing. Ooh. Hold on. They're playing some. Uh, they're doing some Chinese drama now. I think. But I've been doing. I've been doing some shortwave that, listening. That, that, that's every day in Wuhan. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna crank it up here a little bit later because I got the uh, I got the Q thirty one on the on the corner of the workbench and I'll uh, I'll play some more for you guys here because uh, this is at this hour of the of the day I, uh, uh, China Radio International is. Uh, is being, being booming in here to the uh, to the northeast, but first, Pete, we've got to begin with our traditional, you know, opening to the show. You know, usually at this point we do travelogue. <laughs> yeah. No travelogue this week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I could report that I made an exciting trip to the TV room <laughs> last Thursday, <laughs> and I'm thinking next week, you know, next week of maybe going, um, you know. Up to the to the living room. Who knows? There you go. Uh, you know, we're all we're all we're all in the hunker down mode. I think the our acronym SITS has uh, kind of caught on. I'm, I'm hearing people using it. Stay in the shack. It sort it, of captures the whole quarantine thing for radio amateurs. I I, I thought of a new one. Hua. What's that? Hold Hua. up at home. Hua. <laughs> that's and that's and that's that's what they say. I think that's what the army guys say now. With the Marines. Hua. Hua. There's, there's variations of it. Yeah. They didn't say that when when we were in. Yeah. I know, but I and I, I noticed them saying it lately, and I didn't know what it was. So anyway, it's something like that. Well, that's a good one. How, well, now, what does it stand for? Hold up at home. Hua. 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 Hold up at home. All right. There you go. But I, I think I think we should give ourselves a pat on the back because. The vast, vast majority of us are doing our civic duty, our patriotic duty, and following through on what the government is asking us to do, and that is stay at home, don't go out, don't spread the virus. So, you know, three cheers for us, three cheers for everybody who's doing the right thing. Hey, uh, also some good news, Pete. You know, I, I have heard from our lawyers at Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe. They're working from home. Ooh. Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe at home. Um, and they report that the Solder Smoke podcast and blogs will not, I repeat, will not be taken down <laughs> and taken off of the fiber optic cable, you know, as we had been concerned. You know, the, the story, which was first reported on the 1st of April here on the Solder Smoke podcast, was that because of my brazen promotion of S38E receivers, we were being accused of price manipulation on on e- eBay and Amazon. You know, driving click up. fraud, click fraud, yeah. click fraud. It was you know, it's it's really ugly. You know, but um, no, uh, it, it's not going to happen. The thing that I think I find is really shocking is that that so many of our listeners, you know, believed that this this was was possible somehow. <laughs> It's. I guess you know we're living in litigious times, and and when when we when we put this out, you know, large numbers of the of of, of solder smoke listeners apparently said, "Huh, poor Bill, poor Pete. Guess we're not going to hear them anymore." <laughs> <laughs> Some more good news, also on the on the the news front, Pete. I think we need to, 
you know, talk about this a bit. This one's a bit more complicated, and it's a problem that we face very often here in the early part of April at the Solder Smoke Podcast. And, um, well, this has to do with the, the issue of whether FT8 is, in fact, FT fake. <laughs> um, yeah. I think it's kind of it's kind of kind of poetic, kind of um, kind of reasonable that um, there's some justice in the world that our report about FT8 being FT fake was in fact fake itself. The whole thing was fake, um, and including people, the website, including the website, <laughs> including the name of the program, the software that was going to be used, the automatic priority radio internet link one. Think yeah. about that, gentlemen. The automatic priority radio interlink, radio internet link one, the April one program. All right. Yet, in spite of this, and in spite of the website you, that you created, by the way, <laughs> and even I thought it looked fake. And I knew. <laughs> And, and, you know, but we had so many guys coming in writing to us saying, hey, you know, I, I kind of think that website's fake. <laughs> anyway, uh, but, you know, that one, I think, is a little bit less shocking because we did get some emails from fellows saying, you know, it's, uh, it's plausible. It can work. It can work. Well, but not only that, here's the thing. Here's the really shocking thing about it, Pete. Guys are saying that it's it's kind of already happening, that guys are getting kind of credit for contacts on FT8 that clearly didn't happen. And it's sort of an artifact of the software. The software kind of hears noise coming from both sides, and somehow it lines up with the good contact algorithm. Bing! You got a good contact, and clearly you didn't. So... Um, once again, you know, this is this is a problem we face. Very often we'll joke about some technology that's upcoming or something that might happen. And it when we do it, it seems completely ridiculous. And then a few weeks later, we find out somebody's out there doing it. But um, anyway, go figure. FT8 apparently can be FT fake. And, um, well, we, we have our preferences in these areas, Pete. Yes, so, um, right. Anyway, uh, I know you've got a lot of stuff on your bench. So we're going we're gonna to do the bench report. Unless you have something in the in the intro portion of the show here, no, you want no, to mention. No, no, no. Plunge right into the bench. You've got a lot of stuff going on. <clears throat> Tell us what's happening at the Newberry Park Laboratories. Well, well, first, I want to share some exciting news about our good friend Dean, KK4DAS. Uh, Dean has stuff. built the simple SSB transceiver. Three cheers for Dean. Yeah, and he's got it on the air. And oh, he's man. just really having a blast uh, with something that he built with his own hands. And uh, I, Dean and I have been, you know, since we're both home, uh, we communicate a lot. He's testing various things and he'll see some problems or see some or have some questions. But it's really exciting to see that unit number two has been built, <laughs> which it, proof, it proves you can build it. <laughs> you, you can, can really, build it. Yeah. You, and then... And, and people who are looking for something to build and say, I yeah. didn't know what to build, there, there's no excuse now because Dean has shown that uh, the simple SSB can be produced by somebody with, with relatively little experience too, by the way. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, with a lot of good guidance and instruction from, from you. But I mean, that is, it, it has been so great to watch him make 
the progress on this thing. You know, he is right down the road from me. He's only about located probably about five or six miles from here. We've never met. Um, but uh, it, I, I was really kind of pleased that our that his first contact was not a kind of, um, you know, kind of scheduled down yeah. the block kind of contact. He went out and worked. A, his first contact was was DX. It was a Canadian, right? Yeah, 400 miles. <laughs> All right. No, it, 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 it's really fantastic. He's running two and a half watts, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, he went through the predictable, you know, trials and tribulations. He had his own tale of woe. And it was pretty much where we predicted it would be, right? Yeah, yeah. In the final RF amplifier stage. Yeah, I think CF CF Rocky said that he predicted that he he wrote an article called the uh, the necromancy of 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 transistors or something like that, and he said you know the production of RF at any considerable power level it leads to tales of woe or something like that. One uh, one one interesting note he he posted that on the Bidex twenty IO right, and uh, he got a he got a response back from Farhan that said. You know, it's a good thing you're building that in modules because then it becomes an experimenter's platform that you can swap out modules. You know, yeah, and, no, no, and, the the, mod, the whole modular thing, the whole stage yeah. by stage thing. It's really good that Dean took that that bit of of tribal knowledge and tribal wisdom that you've been putting out for for a long time. He took that to heart because too often we see somebody say, "Well, I'm going to build it," and then they solder, you know, two three hundred parts to a board. Then they plug it in, and smoke comes out. It doesn't work, and then they say it doesn't work, and then they send you angry emails. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you, the, uh, the the thing that I uh, shared with them, I said, you know, two modules. If you swapped out the low pass filter and, and the band pass filter, you now have it on another band. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So yeah. I mean, I said you may want to, you know, swing that up to. Uh, I wouldn't recommend, because it's a 9 megahertz filter, I wouldn't recommend 17 meters, but certainly 20, certainly mm -hmm. 15, certainly yep. 75, uh, even 60 meters would, would work really, really well with that. That might be a lot of lot of fun to just get a couple bandpass filters and, uh, you know, simple connection. He, he's got, he, did you notice he has SMA connectors on everything? I saw that, yeah. So, so it's just... Screw them up, screw them on. <laughs> you yeah, know that's it. You know, we and we, we have links to it to uh, to Dean's pages on the Solder Smoke blog. But right. if you want to go direct, just just uh, you know, Google KK4DIS. It'll take you to his his blog, which is quite informative. And I think it's also quite encouraging for people who are new in the home brewing game to see what somebody could do. And I realize just this winter, Dean was taking his first steps with the Michigan Mighty Might, and right. I remember we we had a lot of fun because. Because of our proximity, I told him, I said, take that Mighty Might and try to call CQ on 75 meters, on 80 meters, and I will listen for you. So I actually heard him, and we recorded it and put it out. So, uh, you know, he, he put that thing on the air. I mean, so many, so many people built Michigan Mighty Mites and never attached them to an antenna, myself included. Uh, but but he did and and with good results and I, I I think he also got picked up by Reverse Beacon Network. He did, uh, which was uh, which was uh, which was really cool too because you could see see how far out you're you're going with it. So I, I repeat our uh, our call our suggestion that people dust off those Michigan Mighty Mites, uh, hook them up to an antenna, 
and uh, call CQ, see if you get picked up by the Reverse Beacon Network. Who knows? Somebody might actually answer. You might actually have a contact. That would be earth-shaking. One other thing that he did, I think, is really uh, just excellent. He he took all the stages, and he took uh, readings on his oscilloscope, and he took pictures, and he he recorded the levels. So Mm -hmm. if something goes awry, he can go right back to a specific module and said, here's the baseline. No, here's, here's where this thing was and why isn't it there now so i mean it's such an important tool you know and this this is one of those tools that has kind of crept up on us pete i often find myself thinking okay i'm going to take this part or this module out and i hope i can remember how i had it in the beginning and then i look over and sitting next to me on the bench is my iphone <laughs> so i just take the picture I might never look at the picture again, but it's in the phone. And I have, if I have to go out, go back and figure out where yeah. does the yellow wire go, you know? I'm not going to hook it up to the wrong terminal and blow the whole thing up, all right? So I think, I think as a result of this, less smoke is being released yes. at Solder Smoke headquarters. Yes, yes, indeed. Okay, the uh, next project was, um, actually, I was trying to build a 1930s transmitter with a 1J6, which is a vacuum tube. It's a power amplifier, about 2 watts, a battery. It was essentially battery-operated. You, know, you have 2 volts on the filaments and ninety no, no more than 135 volts on the plate. That, that didn't work too well. So then I swapped in a 6V6, and Ooh. so... I, I was able to get the I was able to get about ten watts out of that. I designed a Pi network for it, and I got it. I actually got it working. I, I have not put it on the air, but it was just something that was one of those challenges that says, "Okay, can I really do this? Can I can I recreate you know, I, a nineteen thirties transmitter?" I did. I find I find this very encouraging because I I have had similar kind of feelings, and whenever whenever I find my my radio kind of feelings or instincts coinciding. With that of, of Pete Giuliano, I, I know that I'm on the right track. And I, too, I, sometimes I look at old handbooks, and they show the classic novice transmitter. You know, it's got a small metal chassis. It's got the transformer up in one corner. It's got a few tubes. It's got the key jack. It's got a tuning capacitor and a loading capacitor for the Pi Network. And, you know, you always see these pictures of a very kind of smug and satisfied Johnny Novice, you know, sitting there with his homebrew trans- transmitter and a story below about how he just talked to, you know, the Russian mission down at the Vostok base in Antarctica or something with it. It's just, wow. And I, 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 I wish, and, and I never really built one of those. So that is on my to-do list here also. 66. No oh, man, something like that. Anything, anything. The crystal control thing these days would be tough. It's not like the old days where people will tune around for you. But having operated crystal control with the ET2, I could tell you it's not as easy as it used to be, but still very worthwhile. And and I, I have a I picked up an old um an, a really old I guess 1930s or 1940s era Regen receiver with 6S7 tubes in it, metallic tubes too, metallic cases. Um, and it's been sitting over there in the corner. The thing is, it's got a lot of good parts on it. The transformer's good. 
the power supply, it's got a good rectifier. Of course, the caps all need to be changed. But my, my instinct has been to strip this thing down, not try to recreate it. I don't need another regen receiver. But the parts, the socketry, as George Dobbs used to say, the socketry is all there. You know, I don't have to drill yeah. any more holes. I could use the same, you know, bases for the, for the tubes that are already in there. And I could turn this thing into, uh, into a transmitter. I would, I would miss the, the, the VFO thing, though. But uh, I'll, I'll, I'll think about it. That, that, would be, that would be a lot of fun. So I think you should put this thing on the air, Pete. At least make one contact. Yeah, well, I, I probably will do that. Just as proof of concept. Yeah, right, but uh, right. kind of nice. The other thing I've been working on is the phasing transmitter. This is really interesting. Tell us about it. Okay, well, I, I uh, you know, of course, building the Radig and then also building uh, the Teensy, uh, those are either using a computer or a microcontroller to really produce the 90-degree phase shift and do all the INQ processing. And I had an idea, why can't we do it in hardware like they did, like Anthony Vitale did, W2EWL, back there in 1956. So I found... He's a, he's a compadre, compadre, too. Yeah, he's a sound key right now. Otherwise, I'd email him. Anyway, uh, I found the 2Q4. And the 2Q4 was built by Barker & Williamson. It's an audio phase shift network. Because that's the heart uh, of, of these these rigs. And as a matter of fact, uh, curious, uh, when you look at the T2, Rick Campbell's article yeah. on the T2, in, in the very first few paragraphs he mentions he says oh yeah this all started out with the 2q4 but he's now doing it with op amps instead of the audio phase shift network so uh the the basic circuit uh used vacuum tubes and and essentially i i moved that to solid state so it's got uh and the audio board has got a 2n3904 mic preamp it's got a 2n3904 um mic amp and that feeds the 2Q4, and then the INQ outputs are NE5534s. And then I fed, fed that into my RATIC board, which has got the two ADE1s. And then I use the phased output I, uh, clock 0, clock 1 on an SI5351. So I actually have kind of a working transmitter. Uh, I don't like how the sideband pattern looks. I mean, it's producing sideband. It's got a little rough around the edges, so we're in the process now of refining some things. But it is possible to do it, so wow. uh, I'm looking. I'm looking forward. Hey, did you? I I, I looked at <clears> one <throat> of the pictures you put up on the blog that showed the the phase shift that you were getting, mm -hmm. and it looked like about ninety degrees. But I remember on the Rigol scope, they, there's this yes. app. There's this. You could hit the measurement button, then you go to time, and it'll give you precise you know, 87. Have you tried that yet? Yeah, I did. I did. Did, you, work, you, work, did it work out for you? Yeah, it did. Oh, good. I mean, I think I found it really useful because it's hard to eyeball it. You know, you look at two sine waves, even if one is like on higher up on the screen than the other, and you think, yeah, it looks about 90 degrees. And then you run the program and you find out that they're, it's like 86.5. And, and that I found that made a big difference in sideband suppression later down the line well, yeah it does well, one of the challenges is I, i've simulated the network okay in lt spice and essentially you get a nice very flat response within like about a half a db from about 
400 hertz out to 2.3 kilohertz. That's the graph that you see. And, and mm -hmm. if you look at the gradations, that's only about a half dB, which is actually pretty good in the simulation. But I can't, I tried changing values. I can't seem to get that down lower than that. It, it somehow won't go below 400 hertz to give you that. I mean, it, it, it really drops, drops off tremendously uh, down between 200 and 200 hertz and 400 hertz. So it's got to be something in the network that lets you to get make that curve extend out that way and and in the other direction so you can get about you know essentially about 2500 hertz is what you'd like to get so yeah. so your your goal is zero phase shift not not zero but zero variation in phase shift from say like 270 to 2700 hertz so roughly about 2500 hertz and to get the same amplitude the other thing is you notice the amplitude of the signal is not the same at the lower end so that needs to get boosted yeah. So it's a lot, lot more working there. But I mean, 70 years ago when they came out with this thing, everybody said, man, this is advanced technology. Well, yeah. now, well now we've got computers and op-ants that, you know, you know kind of kind of make that like a buggy whip, but but it's yeah. fun nonetheless. Yeah. You know, I've never, I've never built the phasing rig on the transmit side, but I did build uh, Rick's R2, the receive phasing thing. And I know a lot of the, uh, especially the newcomers are listening and kind of scratching their heads on what are these guys talking about. Basically, what we're saying is that they're, you know, normally with a single sideband transmitter or receiver, it's all built around a crystal filter. Then the crystal filter is used to chop off the unwanted sideband. And that's the traditional, well, I mean, that's the more common way to do it prior to SDR, all right? We're talking analog circuitry here. But there's always been another way, and that's the phasing method. And as, as Pete's indicated, it's quite an old method. As a matter of fact, my HT37 transmitter, which was built in 1959, um, is, it uses the phasing method. And it's, it's a kind of a complicated thing to get your head around, but... It's worth it to think about it. It drove me crazy as a teenager because I tried to understand it and I just couldn't do it. And it wasn't until later that I started to go back and reread the articles and, and noodle and have a, a diagram in front of me that I really came to understand how by shifting the phase of the RF oscillator, the, the VFO signal, and then adding a 90-degree phase shift to the resulting audio, you manage to get one sideband to disappear and the other to be reinforced. So this is, this is an amazing trick. Basically, all you have to do is build two direct conversion receivers. ADU-1s. Right. And, then, and, that, and that's really easy. And then if you shift the phase the right way at two different points, at the VFO and at the audio. Audio, yeah. Boom! One of the, one of these signals disappears, and the other is reinforced. One sideband disappears, the other is reinforced. That's it's almost magical. It's kind of a cool way of doing it. Now, in the phase shift network that you're talking about, yeah, in the R2, Rick Campbell used op amps to to get the 90 degree phase shift. And I we we've this just this week been getting emails and uh, and videos from Keith N6ORS who coincidentally is working on phase shift networks. 
Now, he, he did something. I don't know if you've seen the latest video he sent. If not, I'll, I'll put it up on the blog. But if I understand it right, he's got the phase shift network there. But he can shift the phase shift. I think he can go from like minus 90 degrees to plus 90 degrees. And that would allow you to select one sideband or the other, which is pretty cool. I mean, I, I think a lot of people have seen like how to shift shifted is by just moving the phase shift network from one of the outputs of the direct conversion receiver to the other output of the direct conversion receiver. Sure, that's one way to do it. But I'm looking at a diagram here and it seems to me that if you if you were able to shift just the phase shift from negative 90 to positive 90, you would also in effect cancel one of the sidebands and, and not the other and you'd be able to shift back and forth. Well, let me tell you what I did. Um, clock one and clock zero. Yeah. If you switch the inputs, yep. reverses the sideband. There you go. So, uh, and that was physical. That was a physical. And when I first set it up, it was coming out upper sideband. So I switched the connections. But if you did it in software, you can just put in a command. You switch closure says, okay, now change the phase shift from clock one to clock zero. And so you switch the sidebands. So yeah. that's that's how I did it. I just physically switched the two connectors and it changed the right sideband. So you can do that in software, or you can do it in hardware. I mean, I tell you, this is this is real. These are really kind of fun fun projects. Not for the uh, not for the faint of heart. Not necessarily beginners projects. <clears throat> I, I think beginners, you know, uh, we we've talked about the progression that people should make. I think um, uh, Dean has made, you know, really really great progress now he's got he's got a bit of a background because he's an it guy and he's he, he's used to working with technology so it's it's he's not a complete newcomer to this but i also got emails this week from somebody who reminded me about what was an important stepping stone for me and that's um uh we got a, a guy I, the call sign uh, lauren uh, lauren he sent me an email you'll see is wa7 call and I have it up on the... Oh, the uh, double sideband rig. Yeah, he, he's making double sideband rigs, which I think is really, really cool. That's, that's how I got into homebrewing phone equipment. I had been homebrewing CW stuff, but I wanted to do something with phone. And I stumbled across an article by Doug DeMaw about double, how to build a double sideband transmitter. And I built one for 17 meters when I was out in the Azores. And wow, that's what that's what really got me going on homebrewing phone rigs. And I became much more enthusiastic about homebrewing phone equipment than than I would have been if I had stuck with CW. And so it one thing led to another and I built up experience by working on double sideband rigs. And finally I took on, I think with the BIDX, no, not with the BIDX, but I built a, a single sideband transmitter based on a Sprat article by Frank Lee, G3YCC. And that was my first single sideband transmitter. And then later on, I got into the bit axes. But yeah, I mean, don't don't forget double sideband. And then you know, if you're if you're looking for something to get your head around to test your knowledge of the uh, of the technology, especially as we're all locked up here in quarantine, start taking a look at at how how this is done with phasing as opposed to filters, right? And it is it's it's really intriguing. I, I know. Um, uh, Peter Parker down there, VK3YE, he prefers the whole phasing thing. He, he considers the, uh, the filter method 
kind of crude and blunt force, you know, using a filter to chop off the sideband. Well, yeah. And, and I got to tell you, when, when I look at the hardware, there's a lot less to it with the phasing. I mean, the audio phase shift network, a couple of op amps, a couple of transistors, and, yeah. and, and ADE1s, and you're there. And, it, you know, it sounds good, too. There's kind of an aesthetic element here, too, Pete, because, you know, we've all known that that direct conversion receivers sound really good. Presence. A, presence. <laughs> or or even or even even more scientifically uh, questionable, you feel closer to the ether, all right? There you go. There you're, you go. you're just, you're, 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 you're one conversion away. I mean, the RF comes in from the antenna. You do one conversion to audio. Boom. There you are. And you're listening to it. It's almost like you're, you're more directly connected to the radio waves, to the, to the ether that we know doesn't exist. But um, anyway, it's... Uh, it, it, and, you know, the phasing receiver, even though you've got two of them and you've got this kind of phasing mechanism to cancel out one of the sidebands um, or one of the images, as you could put it, um, it still has the same sound quality of an ordinary direct conversion receiver. It sounds really good. So uh, don't forget about the phasing. Now, are you going to pair up your phasing transmitter with a phasing receiver? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Now, one other thing I'm doing is I took a look at Rick Campbell's uh, schematic for the T2. Mm -hmm. And he uses the NE5514, which are really hard to come by. So I'm going to convert that to an NE5532, and I'm going to I'm going to build that and I'll post that. So it might be possible to to because realize that that was 1993. Yeah. When he published that article, it's kind of hard to find the 5514. So the 5532s, which is a dual op amp. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to see about converting that whole circuit to that, and we'll see if we can uh, come up with a phasing transmitter using the 5532s. This way you won't have to worry about the 2Q4. Pete, I can see you're having no trouble dealing with the quarantine. No. You've got a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> no, somebody, no. Somebody, somebody asked me about it. I said, well, look, I, I retired oh, in September. Oh, God, I spent a time in a shack. Oh, oh God. no. How awful. i got to stay I gotta, with my radios. It's, it's just you know, <laughs> since. But I, I joked. I said, for me, it's been easy. I mean, I, I, I retired in September, and, and retiring in September prepared me well for being isolated in, in March. So Yeah. Uh, Did you take your Lysol this morning? No, don't start. Now. Don't start. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that brings us to the shameless, shameless commerce, commerce division. division. Shameless commerce division. You know, I, I feel a little bit bad about doing the shameless commerce division these days because all jokes aside, you know, we're in pretty good shape, but there's a lot of people out there who are now really hurting financially. And, uh, and, and we, you know, are, we, they, they really have, you know, we got to keep that in mind that, that it's not just a matter of staying in the shack. A lot of people now are staying in the shack and they, you know, they, the checks aren't coming in, but the bills are. So that's, this is, you know, a real bad problem. So I, I wouldn't ask anybody to do anything that would, you know, kind of cost them any money. But the, but the Shameless Commerce Division, I, 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 it doesn't cost you any money at all. If you have to order something from, from Bezos and Amazon, go to the upper right-hand corner of the Solder Smoke blog. Now... I got a message from 
Bezos saying that uh, they had changed their program a bit. All right. And I figured, uh oh, yeah, they, they've changed it, but they require me now to put a um, kind of an ad for uh, whatever up there. But there's still a search block. And as I understand it, you could search for whatever you want. I mean, I have right now a couple of ham radio books, including one of the books by Peter Parker, including a book by, about Arduino. But you could search for anything you want there. And then, you know, I'll get a certain portion of it and that'll go into the the vast uh, solder smoke bank account <laughs> that we use for solder smoke research and development projects. But uh, anyway, uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna go to Amazon, that thing there is now up in the upper right hand po- portion of the blog, and I hope that more of you will be able to see it now because it's been kind of updated. And uh, check it out; I think it's there, and I'd appreciate it if you use it. Also, I'm gonna try from time to time to change the uh, the products that we're advertising up there. You know, have something that's more related to whatever we've been talking about on the podcast. That should be fun. Pete, that brings me to my bench. Yes. Hold on. Let me let me turn. I'm gonna. China Radio International should have re- just switched to English because it's it's nine o'clock in the morning here. Hold on. China's inactivated COVID-19 vaccine has entered the second phase of clinical trial. The vaccine started as clinical trial on April 12th. Ninety-six persons in three age groups have received the vaccine as of April 23rd. The developer says the vaccine has shown good safety so far. That's breaking news. The trial will focus on the vaccination procedure. The vaccine may take about one year to complete the clinical trial and finally reach the conclusion. You see, this is this is what's cool. I, I really, I've really been taken by this whole shortwave listening thing, and it takes me back to teenage days before the ham radio license arrived. And I, I, I'm really enjoying it. What you were listening to there was the um, the Q31. Um, receiver that I built. I built it really all around the the Galaxy 5 uh, variable capacitor that you sent me almost exactly a year ago, but it's finally made it into the receiver. Uh, I've got pictures of it. Pete, you can see it on the screen. It's right there. I think it's remarkably cool looking. There's something cool about black and silver combining in a in a receiver This thing, or a transmitter. This thing looks looks really cool, but it's working very well too, and I'm just having... A lot of fun with it. I, I checked at how long did it take me to build this thing. Now, with additional time available because of quarantine, I started working on it on April 4th, and I guess I finished it around April 19th. So, you know, I'm working on it more time, but 15 days to put this thing together. And uh, I, it, it's just one band right now. I mean, it just covers the 31 meter band which is 9.4 to a little bit above 10 megahertz. Uh, but that is the most active shortwave band right now. And there's all kinds of great stuff to listen to. I had been under the impression that shortwave broadcast radio was pretty much dead because all these big stations that we, we grew up with, VOA, the BBC, Deutsche Welle, you know, Radio Netherlands, were all going off the air. That's not true. I mean, there is a lot of really interesting stuff to listen to on the shortwave broadcast bands, and I find myself listening to it to it quite a bit. Pete, but I, I wanted to tell you something. You know, your capacitor is like front and center. You could see you could see on my screen here, but you see this thing here. I put this here up here. You know what that is? Uh, it, the screen is just cut oh. off right at that point. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to tilt it over here for you so you can see a little bit. Let's see. Hold on. All right. Oh, there you go. 
This thing here. You see what that is? You know what that is? It's a, like, like a plate. It's a roll bar, my friend. You know, oh, like okay. on a car, they'll put a roll bar. So if yeah. you roll the car, you don't get squished. All right. I was worried about this magnificent capacitor you sent me. I was afraid that I was going to bump into it or that I would flip the rig over to work on something underneath and then smash the rotors on the capacitor. So I just took a piece of PC board and, and bolted it onto the back, and it provides protection for the, uh, the rotors. Hey, hey, let me ask you a question, because that was notable about the Galaxy 5, and, and that's, that was the thing that really distressed me, is that Helicrafters and National, the, the tuning was non-linear. In other words, down in the CW portion of the band, you had wide space tuning. By the time you got up to the, the phone band, man, you just you got to squint between the 5 kilohertz marks. But the Galaxy was linear. How, how hmm. do you find that tuning? Is it... I, I don't think it's I don't think it's linear. When you just look at the plates, the plates are the same size all the way along. You know, some of these old capacitors, you'll see that yeah. they've got this kind elliptical. of weird kind of elliptical shape. Yeah. And I think that was designed to come up to produce the the linear effect. So I don't know how Galaxy did it. If it if it you know if it, if it was in fact you know yeah. linear. Yeah, it was. It was, and they must have had some sort of other circuitry in there because the cap the cap doesn't really seem to do that you know i i have placed you know sort of in in line with the old shortwave practice i've placed markers here on the frequencies and the stations and the locations so there's 9690 spain 9955 wrmi but i don't think it's linear and i do think when you get to one end of the the circuit it does they do start to bunch up which i know is one of the things that bothers you about analog vfos yeah yeah, I know. I it, it's it's an imperfection. Yeah, it's it's, it's a downside. But, but but from what I heard, it's very stable, Bill. It's no, it's real stable. It's it's nice. Um, and here, I I've had to sort of change my thinking on a few things here. Also, I fooled around with various different, completely discrete, audio amplifiers, and none of them compared to the LM three eighty six chip. And I know you. I know people point out that there are better audio amplifiers, but it's what I had in the junk box. I reached in there. I pulled out an LM three eighty six. I actually used some little Manhattan pads, eight little tiny Manhattan pads, to make up kind of a, a something to solder the eight pins of the LM three eighty six to. And I I put the standard you know how to power it, how to provide the input. You know, how to put a couple of filters to prevent motorboarding in there. I put all that stuff in there. And man, this thing produces like room-filling audio. It's it's really impressive. It sounds really good. When these stations are coming in strong, and they're not really coming in strong right now, but in the, in the evening when these stations are coming in strong, I can fill not just the room, but the whole bottom floor of the house with uh, Spanish National Radio out of Madrid. And it sounds really good. So it's it's pretty amazing, too, because when you look at some of the discrete audio amplifiers, they talk about the need for larger transistors. They're usually a push-pull with a PNP or a complementary pair with a PNP and an NPN transistor in there, but both fairly large transistors capable of dissipating quite a bit of power. But this LM386, it's tiny. It's the size of your pinky fingernail. And some of these things will put out, you know, 
half a watt up to a full watt of audio power. And really, they do it very, very well. Here's the other thing. I've come to, I've come to reconcile my uh, kind of aversion to chips with the use of, my use of the LM386. The circuitry inside the LM386 is really simple. It's, it's, there's no kind of digital mystery magic. There's not a million transistors in there doing something that nobody can comprehend. If you, I, I found websites where they really talk about in detail the internal circuitry, the LM386, how it operates, what the different pins are connected to. So you could come to an understanding of the LM386 that, that's identical to your understanding of, of the discrete amplifier. As a matter of fact, when I look at some of the discrete amplifiers that are out there that are like, okay, if you don't want to use an LM386. Circuits are the same. It's the same circuit. Yeah. You know, Arv Evans provided circuits that I used in, in a couple of my BIDX, and I thank Arv for that. But then I, I was looking at one of the websites that shows the, the circuitry inside the LM386, and as you say, it's, it's the same. So I'm going to stick with the LM386 on this thing because it seems so nice. Plus, you know, it gets kind of tedious building audio amplifiers over and over again. I'm glad I built my own discrete, built a few of them, but I'm going to stick with the chip on this one, and I know that's going to shock a lot of our our listeners but uh, there's 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 a room there's room for flexibility here in the solder smoke podcast oh, pete absolutely could could you shift your camera because i hear a voice but i can't see a face no oh, there we go Hold there on. we go Shifting yeah back. that's, that's there better we go. I, want, cool. I wanted to show you the roll bar yeah yeah but cool. I, you know this has been also a learning uh, project for me um uh, uh, and, and it gets involved in in measurement you know you have to measurement is important and so as I built it, I had to do things that I normally hadn't done before, like measure gain. As, as you went through, as I built the whole thing, how much gain am I getting out of this whole circuit? And so I, I developed kind of methods. They, may, they might be a bit crude for me to measure stage, uh, stage gain and then system gain. When you put the whole thing together, including the mixers, including the filters, how much, how much gain was I getting from the antenna terminal to the output of the first set of intermediate frequency amplifiers? Didn't you have to add another IF amplifier stage? I, I did. I did. And this was part of that learning process. But if I hadn't known how much gain I had, I would not have known that I needed to do that. All right. So I, I built this thing all the way through. I built What I built was bandpass filter one stage of RF amplifier, diode ring mixer, uh, IF amplifier, ceramic filter, another IF amplifier. And I got that whole thing done. And then the output, I was looking at an output across a 50 ohm resistor. And I took the, the signal generator, the Steve Silverman signal generator, and fed it in and measured, okay, how much am I going in to the antenna terminal with across a 50 ohm resistor? And then how much is coming out of that final IF amplifier, again, across the 50-ohm resistor? And we're measuring voltages, so it's just um, voltage over voltage, take the log, times 20. Yes. Yeah. It's voltages, right? Voltage gain. Yeah. And I realized that the whole, that, that whole part of the receiver, where, where I thought I was mostly done, I was getting 30 dB. You know, it, it netted out to about 30 dB, which is not enough. It's not nearly enough. 
you need, I mean, the rule of thumb is you need at least 100 dB and probably 125 dB if you want to use a, a speaker, you know. So then I, I tried to do it. I said, well, okay, maybe with just the audio amplifier, you know, that'll add enough. But I 20. knew it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, it wasn't enough. Even if you put the capacitor across the LM386 and you go, I think that'll get you up to like 46, you're still below. You're you're still below. I mean, when I did that, I could hear really loud shortwave broadcast stations, but only them. And also, I could not hear the band noise. This is another bit of tribal knowledge that I think is, is really important. How do you tell... If you've got enough gain in a receiver or pull not, pull the antenna. If you pull the antenna, if 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 it's got, if you put the antenna on and you don't in, hear an increase in hiss, in in like noise, band noise, then you don't have enough gain because you're not hearing down to the noise level. If you can hear it, stop. You've got enough, and adding more gain is just going to increase the, the noise. All right, yeah. but if you haven't reached that level where you're hearing that. When you hook up the antenna, you got to build some more amplifiers. So that's when I, I went and built a couple more IF amplifiers. And I was guided by circuits that were familiar to me, the BIDX amplifier circuits. Farhan has some really simple RC-coupled, no, no coils, no transformers, amplifiers in there. And I, I was also helped in this by LT Spice. So I, I built these amplifiers first in LT Spice, and I, I knew I want I knew I needed two of them because I'm I'm not building the termination insensitive amplifiers. I'm just using the single transistor amplifiers that Farhan had in his Bidex circuits, and so I, I built them and I said, all right, now how am I going to couple them? What 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 am I, what kind of impedance transformation am I going to use between them? Right, you know. And when I built it in LT Spice, I, I started fooling around with impedance matching transformers, but it, it wasn't really necessary because the input, you know, impedance is it's it's a, around 100 ohms. The output impedance is around 200 ohms. They're pretty close. So on in LT Spice, I just connected them through a coupling capacitor, the output of one to the input of the other. And then I measured the total gain. And there was a slight loss. I mean, maybe I lost a dB, but the first amplifier was 15 dB. The second amplifier was 15 dB. I hooked them together this way, and I ended up with about 29 dB. (laughs) Simple, simple works. I put them together. I put them in the receiver, and it made all the difference in the world. It really lit this thing up. I mean, it, it before... It had been kind of, as I say, sucking wind. I mean, trying to, trying to, desperately trying to pull in stations that were that should have been really robust. Yeah, well, there, there's a critical point here, Bill, because you have a choice of where you put amplifiers, and by putting it after the filter, right. you're just amplifying the signal, not the noise. Not if the you, noise. If you put it on the front end, you're no. amplifying the noise and the signal. So that's why that's, 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 that's a key point to. To understand where you put that amplifier. That's why when you hear these guys on their Kenwoods and Yesu saying, "I'm going to turn on the preamplifier," you're thinking, "Well, uh, you know, you might you might be actually making things things worse." worse. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's been a real interesting process. So right now, the only filter I have in there is a ceramic 455 kc filter. It's 10 kcs wide, 
which is really nice for the uh, shortwave broadcast bands. I have a bunch of them. Bruce, KK0S, sent them to me. And I thought, okay, well, I'll put one in there. I'll start out with one. But then let me see what happens if I put a second one in there. So in the second set of IF amplifiers that I built using Farhan circuits, I, I put between them, as I did in the first set, one of these 10KC um, uh, ceramic filters. You know, Pete, it didn't work out. It, because what happened was, as I tuned through a signal, I was very clearly getting two distinct peaks. So either because the, the filters might not be precisely on the same frequency, that's probably not it, but it's probably because the circuitry is changing the resonant frequency of the whole thing a bit. Shifting the center frequency. Shifting it, and I just didn't want to mess with it. So sometimes when you make a change like this and you think that you find that you, you've made things worse, retreat go back so i just went in there and took out that filter and replaced it with the wire connecting the output to the input and and it went back to being a very nice very happy happy receiver well you know but, now that you've gone this this part uh, in the back of my mind there's some 21 megahertz uh crystal filters that are like 10 kilohertz wide yeah use them in F fm receivers That'd yep. be really cool. Then you eliminate any image problems that you might have. No, you're right. And and Farhan was was telling me about that. Uh, I I was um, chatting with Farhan the other day, and he mentioned that he had built a, that AM wide uh, fil crystal filters. And uh, you know there there is so much of this stuff available for 10.7 megahertz. So but yeah, that, that gets is you cl too close to the band. So the 21 solves that. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, 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 yeah. If if I was going to stick with with uh, with thirty one uh, meters, but uh, it's been it's been great. I and you know you learn so much as you go through this. Um, you know, I, I've mentioned this before. I found that AM detection is actually more difficult than SSBCW detection. SSBCW, man, you just build a you know diode ring mixer or an SBL one. You shoot the BFO into one terminal, the RF signal, the IF signal into the other one, and out comes boom. Out audio. comes the audio, right? Great. But I found it it's not that simple with, with, with AM. Now, um, uh, Paul, VK3HN, had great success with the infinite impedance uh, detector using an MPF-102. I, I couldn't get it to work, and I don't know why. I, you know, so I, I said, okay, let me try it with just a simple diode detector. And I got it to work, but it wasn't great. And then somebody, you know, you go back to the literature and the thing is, they say, okay, a germanium diode, because it's got a lower turn-on voltage, it's got 0.2 versus 0.6, which can make a big difference, uh, try that. So I, I reached into the junk box and I found a couple of uh, 1N34As, germanium diodes. And I put one of them in, in the uh, Q31, an instant improvement in audio quality, a lot less distortion, Sounds really good, and I, I liked it so much that I went and put one in the uh, in the HRO dial receiver that I have also. So you, you might a, you might also want to look at a one N fifty seven eleven, which is a Schottky diode. Yeah, I heard about those too. Yeah, I heard that some of them they're, they're getting harder to find now, and that there are others that are they're being sold as Schottky diodes. They aren't quite, but they're, they've got such similar characteristics that it's the same kind of thing with a very low threshold uh, of voltage. Hey, but I had a happy thought, Pete. You know, I um, one of the things that we all are 
most of us, I think, are allowed to do during a quarantine is go out for a walk, go out for an exercise walk. And I, I'm, I'm fortunate. I live. I don't live in an urban area, so I could I could walk a couple miles without crossing paths with anybody. Sometimes I take the dog. Sometimes I just go by myself. And as you're going along, you know, you're thinking about radio projects, right? <laughs> yeah, you yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. And I and I was thinking how how nice it is to build receivers where I don't have to build a BFO. And the reason I don't have to build a BFO is because these shortwave broadcast signals bring their own BFOs with them. Yeah, AM. <laughs> AM. He's, it's, it comes in with the carrier. Not only that, it's it's a carrier that has the proper phase relationship with the sidebands, right? Whereas the BFO in your receiver might not, right? And this is maybe one of the off. Arg- yeah, might, might be off. And this is one of the arguments for why. AM sounds better than single sideband, anyway. Um, I guess unless you're using a synchronous detector. But uh, we're not using synchronous detectors here. But anyway, uh, yeah, yeah, it's kind of nice to think that uh, that, that my, my signals bring their own uh, a BFO. You know, uh, you mentioned IF and images, 455 kilohertz. Uh, it's convenient because there's so much stuff around for 455kc because it was the the standard if for am broadcast receivers so there's lots of you know old style tube um you know the the, the Parts. Uh, all, all american five used 455 um and 455 shows up in the drake 2b it's one of the if frequencies there lots of our receivers the hammerland hq 100 uses 455 um, the S38, of course, 455. Um, S38, what? You, you know, the S38E. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute if we have a moment. But, uh, um, but there's a problem with it. And I, I found that one of the problems is that, okay, so when I was thinking about doing kind of impedance matching between these stages and building a transformer, man, when you start to try to figure out how many turns you got to put on the toroid to get you know, a, a, a kind of a minimum level of reactance at 455 kilohertz. That's a lot of turns, right? So it becomes more difficult to do impedance matching that low. It's a lot easier if you're up at 10 megahertz or 12 megahertz. That's where we're used to working. But uh, that's one of the disadvantages. Also, you know, like you said, images. The, the image frequencies when you're using a 455 kC filter is uh, just 910 kilocycles away. So unless you've got a good bandpass filter up front, there's a good chance that you're going to be listening to Bleed that through. image frequency all, also. Now, I, I found um, circuitry that I, uh, a bandpass filter that I really liked, and it was from WADIZ, Diz. You know, he sells bandpass filters for yes. these different bands. But I didn't want to order anything because the, the idea here was to use on, on hand parts. But he has the schematics of his filters up on his site. And I just happened to have the parts. Most of the parts came from him. They were his toroids. They were his trimmer caps. So I felt good about it. And I thanked Diz for that. And uh, I built those uh, the ba- a bandpass filter. I just used the frequencies for 30 meters. He had, he had the, the parts for 30 meters for you know around 10.1 megahertz. And he's got, a, he's got trimmers in there. So I figured I could just trim sure. it down. Worked fine. But, but really nice uh, kind of three parallel resonance circuits linked by uh, small capacitors. But, but great stuff. So I, I've had great fun with this project. Pete, I just want to 
give you guys a sample of what you can listen to on on the 31 meter band. So the, I just have a list, a short list here. You can list uh, WRMI Radio Miami International. They have great rock and roll shows in the in the afternoon. Uh, they have a program called VORW, where a young fella takes radio requests and then uses those as requests. You know, it's kind of a call-in show. That that's really nice. Radio Nacional de España, Spanish National Radio, comes booming in here in the afternoon with some really nice programming. China Radio International runs soap operas, like Chinese theater, like these soap operas about these young people in modern China, you know, struggling with jobs and careers and, uh, you know, girlfriends and parents and the whole bit. And actually, I get kind of interested. Let me, let me crank up. Let me see what, what they're doing now. Hold on. Okay, since you're being so generous, I'll do my part. Don't blame me if I eat too much. Wow, you are so nice. <laughs> Natal, tell the truth. How much did you end up? 20 million. No wonder you left Shaolin. So what's your plan now? They're totally separate things. <laughs> You see what I'm saying? You can get into it. You know, it comes on every day here at nine o'clock, and then they they go for that. Then they, then they have this program about uh, about Confucius and the importance of Confucius in 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 Chinese thinking. I, I just find it interesting. It's fun. All right. Um, they even give China Radio International will e- will even give you Chinese lessons if you want to try. Radio Greece is still on the air. Who knew? Radio Greece. You can, I find I hear them all the time. Um, Radio Republica out of, out, of, out of France is on, often in Spanish. Radio Havana, Cuba, our old friend Arnie Coro is down there still putting out the RF. Um, I hear Radio Saudi Arabia. WBCQ up there in, in Maine. You know, Tim, uh, WA1HLR, uh, Tim Smith works as the chief engineer up there at WBCQ. You know, oh, I didn't and, know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and anyway, they, they, uh, they put out these programs. You're not going to believe. I got to tell you this, Pete. So the other day, I'm sitting here, tuning around, and I hear WBCQ. And they have this kind of talk radio show, and they're talking about things you can do during quarantine, and you know, take on a project, do something you always wanted to do. The director of WBCQ says, "Go out and find an old radio." <laughs> he said it. Yeah. Maybe, maybe an S38. <laughs> Fix it up on your kitchen table. It'll be fun. I'm thinking, damn, the radio gods have spoken. <laughs> the one moment I tune in BCQ, they're advising, fix up an S38. And there you go. That's dangerous. Um, <laughs> and it's scary. <laughs> WWV, I could tune up to 10 megahertz and dong, 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 dong. It gets pretty bad when you're, you know, the only thing you can listen to is... Uh, the time is, signal. The time signals. <laughs> Anyway, um, and then to this morning I was listening to Glenn Hauser's DX report, and there's a show uh, DX Wave Scan from Adventist Radio also shows up on on, on BCQ or, or RMI, and they're they're talking about you know DX stations that they heard broadcast stations. It's really interesting. So um, you have to kind of develop a tolerance for some of the less pleasant stuff that's being spewed out on this radio because it it sort of makes am broadcast radio sometimes seem 
tame and genteel in comparison. Yeah, I know, but you just have to kind of steel yourself and just sort of tune past Brother Stare when he's off on a, you know, hell and damnation kind of Fire and thing. Burp yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but if you listen to the rest of it, really, really good stuff. So I've been having a good time getting back into shortwave listening. Pete, we were going to go shopping. Yes. We were, we were going to talk about stuff that you need. I'm sure you've got some ideas. But, you know, this is a time when everybody's stuck at home, but we have access to online shopping. So it might be time to kind of restock. Some of this stuff's not very expensive either. But if you can, and I know a lot of people are in a position they can't. But for those of us who can, I, I have found a few things that it's good to have around the shack. Do you want to start? you got anything in this area? Yeah. I, we, we were talking the other day about hardware. Where to yeah. get hardware? Yeah, and, and a good source is McMaster Car. McMaster Car. Now, if you're refurbishing a, a Drake 2B and you want to get the black screws that put the case on, they're really hard to find. Except you can find them at McMaster Car. Wow. So, yeah, the the 440, 630 seconds. As a matter of fact, I was working on a Drake uh, TR4, and I said it was missing the screws. And I said, where am I going to find these? So you can find the black screws, 630 seconds. And you can either get the slotted or the Phillips. So you can put the radio back to original condition. And they got all sizes. And you can get them, you know, Phillips, Panhead, any kind that you want. But make master car. And, uh, you, you know, they sell them 100, piece, 100 pieces, like uh, maybe 8 cents a piece. For a hundred of them, so I mean, you you spend eight bucks and you get enough to do a lot of Drake radios. So McMaster oh, car, and use the nuts use and the bolts. right screw. Don't do what I do, which is use whatever screw you find when you reach yeah. into the box. You know, yeah, get the right most one. Most of most of them are six thirty seconds, and and a quarter inch with the black, and it really holds up well. You know, some of these are kind of just you screw them a couple of times and then they're no longer black. But these ones hold up well. McMaster car. Well, really good. Thanks for that, Pete. You know, when I was working on this um, Q31 receiver, I I reached into the to the junk box and found a, a small spool of small coax, like this this tiny little coax that you use a lot of times for interconnection. It wouldn't handle much power, but it's 50 ohms. RG, what what do we use? 174U. RG 174. But I I really came to hate RG 174. For a couple reasons, the dielectric would always melt on me, and and whiskers. Murphy's whiskers, yeah. Murphy's whiskers. But I found kind of uh, through 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 a friend, uh, Jim W eight NSA. While back, he sent me uh, a care package with a whole bunch of parts from from his shack, and included in it was a small reel of Thermax RGS three one six coax. It's the same size as RG174, but it's, it's kind of red or, or tan in color outside. But it's real easy to strip. The dielectric is uh, Teflon. Teflon, it does not melt. And it's real easy to solder. There is a bit of a Murphy's whisker problem, but the, the, the braid seems to hold together a little bit better. The braid goes down really easily. So I, I used so much of this stuff in building the Q31 that, to my horror, I realized that I was running out of Thermax RGS 316. You know that you're a kind of a kind of a getting close to the edge home brewer, like a radical fundamentalist kind of crazed home brewer, 
when it keeps you up at night, the fact that you're running out of RGS 316. <laughs> These are the things that worry us. So I went out and found a source on um, on the internet and ordered it. You know, one thing, I just want to mention this, as much as we make use of of Amazon and Bezos, sometimes the delivery times these days are kind of far out there. If you go to eBay, you're dealing with directly with individual sellers, the delivery times are like two, three days if they're here in the States. Um, so, I mean, that's that's what I did. I found And I found a source for Thermax RGS 316 coax. I will put the, uh, the link up on the Solder Smoke uh, blog after the show. Another thing I was running low on, Pete, PC boards, copper-clad boards. And I discovered that there's a big difference in substrate material. I discovered that the many boards that you sent me over the years and the boards that uh, Armand, the A1UQO, has sent me have really nice substrate to them. And people think, what is Bill talking about? Who cares what the substrate is? Well, when you pull out the tin shears and you want to cut off a specific size, some of this substrate stuff is really nasty. And it releases this kind of formaldehyde fiberglass smell that doesn't sound like it could possibly be good for you. Good for the lungs. <laughs> I st- I st- I've cut- taken the step outside and put-, put a mask on when I cut this stuff. I never have to do that with the boards that you sent me or that Armin sent me. So I started doing a little research and figuring out what's going on here, and I figured it out. The boards that you guys have sent me use as a substrate a material known as SEM1. That's C-E-M, Charlie Echo Mike 1. And that stands for Composite Epoxy Material. And Wikipedia says this is a group of composite materials typically made from woven glass, fiberglass surfaces, and non-woven glass cores combined with epoxy synthetic resin. They are typically used in printed circuit boards. SEM1, which we have used, it has a feature here that I think is really important to us, is a low-cost, flame-retardant, cellulose-paper-based laminate with only one layer of woven glass fabric. So when you release the smoke, you don't have to worry about lighting up the PC boards. (laughs) (laughs) And we do release a lot of smoke around here, so that's kind of something to consider. So anyway, I found a source for that, and I will put the link up on uh, on the page. Test leads, alligator clip test leads. Whoa. These can lead to a lot of heartache and frustration. Here's why. Most of them are so incredibly cheap, you shouldn't even buy them. And if you do buy them, you should throw them out immediately. Take a look at these alligator test leads, right? If you look and you see that there's no solder between the alligator clip and the wire, throw them out. They've crimped them. A lot of times they've crimped them without even removing the plastic insulation. They're just no, hoping no that the contact. crimp... They're, no but they're, they're hoping that the crimp will go through the plastic. And it might work sometimes. Once. For a while. On Tuesdays, but not Thursdays. And when you're testing a circuit, this is the worst possible condition that you could have. Because you hook it up and you think, damn, this thing's not working. What went wrong? And then you find out three days later that it was working perfectly but what screwed you up was this cheapo test lead. Anyway, 
I found somebody who will solve nice this problem for nice you leads. forever. They're, they're called Best Test Leads, and that's the name. Be, the name of the company is Best Test Leads, period. Hand-soldered mini clips. They're, uh, they're, they're not expensive, but you know, you, I bought like half a dozen of them. I rarely am using more than half a dozen clip leads at a time. So I got six of them. I hung them up over the workbench, and I threw out all the rest. It was very satisfying. It was like revenge. Take that. Uh, I'll put the link up there. They're they're really nice. It's guy. He's got a small company. He's a good guy to support, and uh, I think uh, I think you guys would like him. Hey, Rigol probes for the oscilloscopes. I know you recently bought some replacement probes. I've had to buy replacement pro- probes for mine like two three times now. I mean, I don't mind buying them. They're not expensive. But why are we burning out these probes so much? Well, look at Dean. He had a brand new scope. And, and he was getting erroneous measurements. And then he sw- swapped the probes and found out he had a bad set of probes. They replaced them for him. But there's, that, that's the weak link. Probes. I mean, I, it is. And, I, and you get them. And you get them. I don't get them. I don't think I'm getting them from Rigol. I'm getting them from other companies in China. They work well with the Rigol scope. But there's something going on with these probes. And it's not like we're putting real high voltage on it. I understand if you put high voltage on it, you could, you yeah, could damage it. Most before, of them are rated at 150 volts peak to peak, some 300. I know. And, and so we're way down below that. you're not working on vacuum tubes. Yeah, you no, know, 12 no, volts. We're, not, we're working with 12 volts here. I mean, so I, I don't know. If anybody has an idea what's going on with the Rigol probes, let us know. Hey, uh, something I put on the list of kind of that would be cool to have, and this gets to a problem that, many new home brewers find quite daunting. I don't know why, but it, it is kind of annoying. That is, when you're going to wind a toroid, you wind the toroid. Some people find this really horrible. We'll talk about this in a minute because we've got something. Somebody sent us something that's really helpful with this. But the wire itself has normally an enamel or paint coating on it. You have to remove it because if you try to solder onto the paint... <laughs> It's just not going to work. No, no. But there's a type of of magnet wire out there called thermalese. Have you heard about this? Yes. I didn't know about this until I dealt with the uh, uh, QRP guys NFED half-wave tuning kit. They sent me a a little piece of this wire. It's fantastic. You just put the soldering iron on it and poof, the, the coating goes away and you can just solder right there. So I found a link for Amidon sells this stuff. I'm going to try to get some. I got the link for that. Uh, I, I got I to gotta get some 440 screws and nuts. I got to get a better resistor kit. If anybody's got any ideas on good resistor kits, because it's, it's nice to buy a selection of resistors, but some of them, they come in these tiny little bags, and they look like they're like an eighth of a microwatt or something like that, so small. If anybody's got a de- any ideas for decent resistor kits, also NPO cap kit, the same thing. Years ago, I got a great set of NPO caps, from NorCal. NorCal was selling capacitor kits. It was great. I used it for years, but I've run out. And then I went and got a replacement kit. And it was, again, these tiny little baggies that come. They're hard to find the right one. The specs are often kind of off. Anybody's got any ideas on that? Here's another one along the line. It's a Rigol, Rigol probe. I bought this Extronic, Extronics 4000 series soldering station it's got a blower for hot air for surface mount it's got a soldering iron the soldering iron on the extronic uh, 4000 iron station 
has burned out. So I need to buy a replacement iron, but I can't find one. If anybody knows where to get one, let me know. Got to buy some fuses too. It's important to have 500 milliamp fuses. Hey Pete, we've been joining on here for a while. We still got a few things to cover though. You got to go? Yeah. I'm getting, oh man. Getting close. Oh man. Okay. We'll, we'll wrap it up. Um, let's just do, let's go right to the mailbag. All right. Real quick. Eric, 4ZM1 UG, episode 300 special. It was really good. Um, it's going to be on it. We did it, we did it by a Zoom. It's going to be on, not this week, I think next week. F five, five of us on Five Zoom? of us were there. It was a lot of fun. And congratulations to Eric on episode 300. Farhan continues to work or continues to work on the ventilator project. This is a project for the, obviously for the, for the virus crisis, spearheaded by Dr. Gordon Gibby. Uh, KX4Z. Farhan wants to let us know that Gordon has been the driving force behind this thing and has really done excellent work in coming up with technology that would really help people in, in the crisis. It's kind of a respiration assistance project. Really great stuff. Uh, Jonathan San, W0XO, our old friend from J Japan, is now working out of a Jonathan new shed in, in Seattle. Looking really great. Grayson writes to us, uh, about uh, a, a, a website that we haven't seen for a long time, the Fran Lab. Yeah. Really great stuff. Good stuff. Check it out. I'll put the link up on the blog. Hey, I wrote to WRMI. They like solder smoke. They listen to it. <laughs> they said they'd like to they'd like to put it on their transmitter and transmit it by a shortwave. Just send money, right? Yeah, I know. We don't have any money. So if anybody has any extra money and or ideas of a you know a rich benefactor who wants to put us on the shortwave bands, let us know. Uh, Peter, VK2EMU, continues to build his amplifier. But I got this wrong. It's not a six-meter amplifier. In other it's words, six it's not meters. 50 meters. He's got six meters on the front panel. So it's, 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 I think it's for seven megahertz, not for 50 megahertz. However, it's got six meters. I mean, like needles on the front, on the front I, panel. I want, I want his Greenlee chassis punch, the one that's two and a half inches. Oh, man. He's got good stuff. Um uh, Rich uh, K7SZ writes, now look what you've done. And that's all this S38 talk. Uh, he, he's now working on S38s. Uh, Rich WD3C provides some great shortwave listening links. I'll put these up on, uh, on the blog. And then we've been getting mail and packages from Wasilla, Alaska. Yes. Paul, KL7FLR. First, I want to say Paul provided some really amazing long-distance, far-back-in-time diagnosis. I had been talking about how my S38, one of them, when I tuned it, has an annoying twang, a twang on the Tune dial fast. string. Tune right? fast. Let me just read you what Paul writes. So I just mentioned that twang thing. We're talking about a receiver that was built in 1960, okay? Paul writes, Paul, KL7FLR. Right out of high school, I worked for a radio and TV repair shop. I must have restrung two or three dial cords a week, though it seemed like more until I got the hang of it. I believe the twang you are hearing is the dial cord climbing up on the previous on the previous warp and then slipping off, causing the twang. Hazy memory says that there were three or four wraps of the cord on the driver shaft. The driver shaft has to be parallel to the driven shaft so some radios it had a slotted hole for the driven for the driven shaft so the driven shaft could be adjusted for the tension but not all maybe the radio has been dropped and the shaft is bent 
This radio mine was clearly dropped because both the band spread dial, band spread spindle, and the main tuning spindle are in there kind of wobbly. So Paul diagnosed that from Alaska, from Wilsilla, Alaska, over a 60-year period. Hey, we're going to have to put this on the blog, but he has sent us, he has developed a device for winding toroids that I think is really cool. I know you got one too. I got one. They are beautiful. It's a beautiful piece of work. Handmade. Handmade on a dowel. It's really, really excellent. Fine business. The base is machined. Machined. It's machined, and the the wood comes from a dowel. I I was hoping that he was going to tell me it came from like a grizzly bear tooth or something like that, but it's it's a beautiful piece of wood, and it makes winding toroids easy. And we're going to talk about that more. I'm going to put some pictures up on the blog. But, Pete, I know you have to go. So let's wrap it up. Just stick okay. around. After we wrap it up, stick around because we still got to do our synchronization because we didn't okay. do that in the beginning. Okay. But I'll, I'll, I'll say seven threes from, from Northern Virginia. Everybody stay safe. Stay in the shack. Take care. Pete? Seven threes from the left coast. Seven threes from Northern Virginia. Ciao, guys. Ciao. Ooh, that's awesome. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!